The scripture this morning is taken from John chapter 17, verses 6 to 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have, of course, preached this text before, um, probably more than once and probably more than once here, but we're going to take a little bit different approach to this. This chapter lends itself to several different ways of looking at it, different emphases that come up. I hope, having heard over all of these weeks that we've been studying the Gospel of John, that there are these kind of layering things that Jesus does where he'll take a concept and then he just sort of piles on that concept that maybe you heard in the reading that Ruth Ella just completed, a lot of the ideas that have already come up as we've been going through this gospel. One way of looking at it, and I think we'll be doing this instead of carrying on with our Bible study in First John this evening, I think we'll come back to this chapter and look at this in that light. If you think of how a lot of pastors will pray a prayer of application after they've given the message. And in that prayer of application, they often sort of rehearse all of the same points that they said in the sermon, um, which may or may not be a good thing, but it happens a lot. And Jesus is kind of doing that here, 
with all of the things that he's been saying there in the upper room since Judas left, and even with things that he had taught to his disciples before they got to this point. He's going back and he's basically doing a prayer of application to everything that he's been teaching through this Gospel of John and saying, God, now do those things that I shared with my disciples. And I, I think that's what we'll do with this text when we come back to it this evening. But for this morning, I want to talk about one of the parts of the chapter that often gets overlooked in our rush to get to the unity bits at the end of the chapter. Someone has written, the present chasm between the generations has been brought about almost entirely by a change in the concept of truth. Wherever you look today, the new concept holds the field. The consensus about us is almost monolithic, whether you review the arts, literature, or simply read the newspapers and magazines. On every side, you can feel the stranglehold of this new methodology, and by methodology, we mean the way we approach truth and knowing. It is like suffocating in a particularly bad London fog, and just as that fog cannot be kept out by walls or doors, so this consensus comes in around us until the room we live in is no longer unpolluted, and yet we hardly realize what has happened. The tragedy of our situation today is that men and women are being fundamentally affected by the new way of looking at truth, and yet they have never even analyzed the drift which has taken place. Young people from Christian homes are brought up in the old framework of truth, then they are subjected to the modern framework. In time, they become confused because they do not understand the alternatives with which they are being presented. Confusion becomes bewilderment, and before long, they are overwhelmed. This is unhappily true not only of young people, but of many pastors, Christian educators, evangelists, and missionaries as well. I know that's a long quote. I try not to read that much when I'm quoting from someone else, but that was all to get to this last sentence. So this change in the concept of the way we come to knowledge and truth is the most crucial problem, as I understand it, facing Christianity today. The thing is, those words were written by Francis Schaeffer, the late Francis Schaeffer, and they were written over five decades ago as he was looking at the culture and the approach to truth that was being taken in the Christian and evangelical church back in 1968 when he wrote the book, The God Who Is There. It still holds up, by the way, if you're looking for something to read, The God Who Is There by Francis Schaeffer is a great introduction to just culture in general and to a Christian way of looking at it and understanding it. And actually, when I say it holds up, from our perspective today, we might be forgiven if we thought him to be kind of a prophet in some way, because the things that he said 50 years ago were going to be taking place have now taken place. He started this chapter with a subtitle called Before the Chasm. Well, we are in the chasm. And for us to recognize how prophetic he was in the words that he wrote, we would have to be able to recognize that Western culture and the evangelical churches have long since passed beneath what he called the line of despair. And we would have to come to understand truth, not as it is so often understood in our world today as whatever any individual might perceive truth to be, but rather as a statement of objective reality. In our culture, we very often hear people talk about, that's my truth. 
That's your truth. Well, your truth is different than mine. And we can both hold to these two completely different and opposite and contradictory concepts of whatever it is that we're talking about, and we can still be faithful to the truth. But that's not truth as truth is understood in Scripture. Truth understood in Scripture is not different for different people in different contexts. I heard that helicopter arrive this morning, and I was thinking, what am I going to do if that thing fires up and takes off in the middle of the sermon? So what I'm going to do is take a little break, and we're just going to say a prayer here. Let's, let's look to the Lord. Father in heaven, we do thank you that we can look to you even for things that we don't know what's happening. We don't know if that helicopter was bringing someone here or taking someone away. We don't know what their needs are. We don't know how serious the situation, but you know all of those things. And so, Lord, we just leave that person, that family, that situation in your hands, and we pray that you would so work in it and through it that Christ would be glorified, that your name might be proclaimed, and that your grace would shine through even in the midst of what might be tragic circumstances. Father, we look to you for, for this and for all things, and we pray that as we continue considering your word together this morning, that you would open our ears and our eyes and give us understanding into the word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. This understanding of truth as not something that's flexible, not something that's fluid, not something that can be different for different people or different people at different times and different circumstances is totally problematic for any study of the Gospel of John, given that Jesus once said to his disciple Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. To say that truth is not a fixed point by which we can navigate then is to say that Christ is not a fixed point by which we can navigate through the scriptures and through our lives. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. Simply put, Jesus is not saying in this text as he interacts with Thomas that his teachings were subjectively true for those who might choose to accept them. He is claiming to be the truth as opposed to all others who might make truth claims. He is the word who was with God before the world began and who was and is, in fact, God. And that's why he said, not only I am the truth, but he said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And this is such an important idea because on another occasion, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the people to whom Jesus was speaking there in John chapter 8 had what they defined as their truth. They said, this is the truth, not, not what you're saying, Jesus. What we believe, that's the truth. And in our society today, we might be tempted to come to those people and say, well, well, that's your truth. My truth is something different. Let's just sort of look at these and see if maybe one of them is better or more plausible than the other. But in John chapter 8, verse 33, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? 
Essentially then they were saying, we have our truth. And who do you think you are, Jesus? What makes you think that your truth is somehow more true than ours? But later in the chapter, Jesus highlighted the problem saying, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Ignoring the conclusion, at least for the moment, what Jesus is doing here is linking truth as an objective standard to the word of God. He's saying there's no such thing as your truth and my truth. Truth is found in him and in the words that he spoke and in the very word of God. He said it straight out in our text this morning. He prayed for his disciples, for the 11 who were with him on that occasion. And according to verse 20, he also prayed for those who will believe in me through their word. So ultimately, that's us. Jesus was praying not just for the 11 here in John 17. He was praying for his church down through the centuries, for everyone who would come to faith in him through the word, the truth that was proclaimed by the apostles. And what he prayed is, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So just a word about sanctify. Sanctify them. The word is hagiazo. And it's a root word that's sometimes translated holy or sacred. We say sanctified because holified or holify them just doesn't sound as good but it's the very same word in Greek. It's the word that Jesus used twice in verse 19 of John um, chapter 17 when he said, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. It's not obvious in English, but consecrate and sanctified are just slightly different forms of the same word, meaning set apart to be holy or set apart as holy. It is, in fact, the very same word that Jesus used when he taught his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, consecrated, sanctified, sacred, be your name. So in verse 17 of John 17, set them apart to be holy in the truth. Not their truth, the truth. Not the truth as they perceive it to be, True truth, your word is truth. Remember, he's talking to the Father. And he's praying for the church, the church of all ages. And he's saying, set them apart as yours to be holy unto you in the truth. And maybe for our sake, he adds that little line. By the way, when I say the truth, what I'm talking about is the holy and divine word of God. Your word is truth. And that's why this setting apart, this sanctifying for which Jesus prays turns out to be such a radical thing. Because this is what the word does. It changes us. Verses 6 through 8, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Note the parallelism. 
Jesus is doing what the psalmist does in Psalm 119, and he's just giving the word of God a couple of different names as he walks through this section. I have manifested your name, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. They have received those words. And through those words, they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Further, in verses 14 and 15, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And then in verses 17 and 18, as we saw, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified, consecrated. For their sake I sanctify myself, that they may be sanctified. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they may be consecrated. It's all the same thing. And pulling this all together then, Jesus has said at various times in this prayer, I have manifested your name, they have kept your word. I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received those words and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And finally, I have given them your word. And the result of all of this, sanctifying them in the truth by the word of God, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. As well they would. Because the word of God, the truth of God sets us free, as Jesus said. You will know the truth and it will set you free. But it sets us free by setting us apart, by removing us from being of the world. We remain in the world, but we're no longer of it. It sets us apart to be holy to the Lord. It makes us different. It sanctifies us. It puts us in a place where when the people of the world look and see, you're going to get people, why do you think you're better than us, you Christians? And things like that. And we don't. If we've come to know the word of God, we don't think that we are better. As a matter of fact, if we've come to know the word of God, we understand that we are all sinners and all deserve the wrath of God on our lives. And it's only by grace and only through the work of the Holy Spirit, only through the truth of the word, that we've actually come to be set apart as holy to the Lord. Because that word doesn't come to us as one truth in the marketplace of ideas, as if, well, here's the truth of God's word, and here's the writings of the Buddha or Islam or all of these other faiths, and we should all just look at those and try to decide which pieces of which one might somehow work together to bring us to some concept of the truth as an amalgamation of those things. God's word does not come to us as just one more truth among many. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit into the hearts of God's people those people that Jesus said earlier in this chapter were taken out of the world and given to him by Father, by the Father, and it comes saying, this is the way. This. Walk ye in it. 
See, Jesus didn't come into a fallen world looking to find truth as if the truth is out there and we just need to come across it. Jesus came into this fallen world to be the truth and to sanctify his people in and by the truth. That's why he came, and then he said in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So as with Jesus, we are not sent into the fallen world to find some truth that is out there. We are not meant to go looking for God everywhere. Rather, as those who have come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are sent into a fallen world to call the world to find the truth of Christ, the truth that can set them free, the truth that we have received by God's grace through the work of the Holy Spirit. We are called to go into the fallen world and proclaim the truth of Christ, the truth of God's word, so that people may hear and believe and be saved because that's the only way that it happens. We are sent into the world as he was sent into the world, not to search for the truth, but to proclaim it. This, by the way, is the context for the unity part of this high priestly prayer of Jesus, as we've seen in verses 17 to 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into, their wor- into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then and only then, after Jesus has prayed for them, his disciples, to be set apart as holy in the truth, he goes on in verse 20, I do not ask for these only. That's the them of 17, 18, 19. I do not ask for these, the 11 only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, those, that they, these and those, may all be one, that the 11 apostles, sanctified in the truth, going out into the world to proclaim the truth, would be one with all of those who hear that truth, who believe it, and are born again by the power of God's Holy Spirit in their lives, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So often this passage is preached as an admonition to unity, and it is. But it's not a prayer for some wispy, ethereal kind of unity that transcends and ignores truth. It's not what Jesus is praying for here at all. This is a prayer for the church of all ages to be one, set apart as holy to God in and by the truth. This is a prayer that all the followers of Jesus, the 11, and all those who would believe through the truth that they proclaimed would be one. It's a prayer for what we talk about in the Nicene Creed when we talk about, I believe, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, Christian, Catholic, universal. I believe one holy, set apart, sanctified, 
worldwide, through all times and all nations, apostolic in the sense of based on the doctrine that the apostles taught from the very beginning, the faith once for all delivered to the saints as it's named in the book of Jude. Church. Jesus is praying, sanctify my church in the truth and make them one as you set them apart in the truth. This is not praying for the kind of unity that says, well, let's just not worry about these issues that seem to divide us. It's a prayer for the church that we would dig into the word of God and find the answers that God has put there and then live according to them, set apart as holy to God in and by the truth. It's a prayer that we would have the kind of unity that the Father has with the Son. And if we were to go back through the book of John, which we could do, we would see that there is certainly no compromising of truth in the unity that the Father experiences with the Son. They are one in purpose. What the Father is doing, the Son is doing. What the Father is speaking, the Son is speaking. They work together as one to accomplish God's purpose in the gospel. And we are called to have that same unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ that the Father has with the Son. The glory that you have given me, he goes on to say, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. Go back to those places where we talked about if you abide in me and my word abides in you. I in them and you, Father, in me. That's the basis of unity. Not just go along to get along, but us in Christ and the Father in Christ and us one even as the Father and the Son are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. See, if we go into the world looking to find gods there, we, we will find the world's gods. There is no salvation to be had. Instead, Jesus said that as we abide in his word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's counterintuitive. I know. We always want to think that if we make the message of the cross a little softer, and we usually try to do that by taking the cross part out, thinking that if we make it a little softer, then people will be more inclined to hear. You catch more flies with honey, apparently, than you do with vinegar. We go into the world with this idea that if we somehow embrace their gods, then maybe they will embrace ours. But there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The gospel the truth of God in Christ Jesus is exclusive. And this is the truth, the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we are called to proclaim because faith 
comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. And that's why Jesus prayed as he did. Because when the church of Jesus Christ stands united as one in the truth of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ, then his sheep will hear his voice. His voice, not ours. And he will know them and they will follow him and he will give unto them eternal life. And then sanctified, consecrated, made holy in that truth, we will believe that the Father sent him and we will be with him where he is to see the glory that the Father gave him because he loved him before the foundation of the world. Jesus wraps up this prayer for his people by saying, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen and amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, open our ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church and open our hearts to receive the truth of your word and our minds to understand that, Father, this faith, once for all delivered to the saints, may take root and grow in the hearts of your people, bearing fruit for your glory and fruit unto eternal life that in all things you may be glorified through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, as we pray in his name. Amen.